Welcome to CCO Podcast, calling college students to serve Jesus Christ with their entire lives. Thanks, Hudson. Um, hi, everyone. It's good to be with you. Um, I hope everyone's doing well. Uh, we were just chatting before we got started that um, for some of us, Catherine and I, at least Jubilee is a regular um, uh, and familiar experience every February. So we're glad we can be together in this virtual setting. Um, though wish we were in the Pittsburgh uh, Convention Center. So, um, but thanks everyone for, for being here. Um, so as Hudson mentioned, my name is Katie Thompson um, and I work at an organization called the Center for Public Justice, uh, which is a Christian civic education and public policy organization based in Washington, D.C. Um, as I mentioned, Washington, D.C., we'd love if you could just drop in the chat where you're calling from. Um, it'd be fun for our panelists to see um, where everyone is. But um, the center uh, has been around for just about 40 years, and we do a variety of um, programs and initiatives really focused on helping Christians in all walks of life um, to think about what does God call us to in the public square? Um, what are our responsibilities as citizens um, in a pluralistic society. Um, so much of our work is focused in that space of both kind of educative materials, as well as um, some more direct public policy work. Um, and one of our programs, Shared Justice, um, which is the program that I oversee at uh, CPJ, is focused on college students. So engaging the next generation of Christian leaders um, in those very same questions of thinking about how can we um, love our neighbors uh, through our political engagement? How can we be faithful in that space? Um, so we love coming to Jubilee every year and getting to meet lots of college students. Um, and particularly this panel is one in which um, each year we really try to um, build into our time at Jubilee because we know that there are Christian young people who are interested in um, a career in public service and at CPJ, we really do view public service as an honorable calling um, from God in one through which that uh, we can love our neighbors. Uh, it's a very uh, tangible way in which we can kind of um, exercise our political responsibilities through public service. Um, so we have a wonderful panel with us today of folks who have um, either previously or currently have experience in different types of positions within different uh, levels or agencies of government from local to federal um, and everything in between. So um, I am going to briefly introduce our panelists and then we're going to have a conversation. Um, I'd invite you to drop in questions as we go in the chat. Uh, we're going to try to spend about 10 or so minutes um, towards the end uh, answering some questions. So as those come to you, drop those in the chat. Um, but without further ado, let me introduce our panel. So first up, I would like to introduce Emily Fromke. Emily is a staff assistant for U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. Originally from Concord, North Carolina, she ventured to the Midwest to attend Wheaton College, where she majored in political science, minored in economics, and grew to see God's good purpose for politics in the world. The Falls Church Fellowship Program brought Emily back to D.C. and to Capitol Hill, where she does her best to live out her faith as she works in the public sector. So welcome, Emily. We're also joined by Catherine Sikma, who has been working the polls since 2014. 
She was elected to be the Majority Inspector of Elections for her precinct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with just one vote, which she'll tell us more about in a little bit. Prior to winning her election, she had no experience in local government, but her experience in this role has given her a vision for the importance of civic and political engagement. Catherine serves at Christ Community Church of the South Hills as the Director of Spiritual Formation and Young Adult Ministry. She is also an independent leadership consultant and is passionate about helping others reach their potential. She's a native of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and holds master's degree degrees in higher education and leadership. Welcome, Catherine. And last but not least, we're joined by Eugene Schneeberg, who is an award-winning and sought-after speaker and trainer. He is an expert at providing trainings in the fields of fatherhood, prisoner reentry, youth violence prevention, and faith-based partnerships. Eugene provided strategic advice to the White House Office and the U.S. Department of Justice after being appointed by President Barack Obama as the Director of Faith-Based Partnerships for the Justice Department. Eugene led the Department of Justice's efforts as part of, the president, as part of president Obama's Responsible Fatherhood Initiative and the My Brother's Keeper Initiative. He also co-chaired the Obama administration's efforts to support and improve outcomes for children of incarcerated parents. Eugene helped lead the Attorney General Eric Holder's Federal Reentry Council and helped to expand the Department of Justice's youth violence prevention efforts helping to build the capacity of more than 30 major U.S. cities to combat youth violence. Today, Eugene serves as a director for the Every Youth, Every Facility Coalition. I could give continue with my introductions of these wonderful panelists, but um, in the, the name of time, keeping their accomplishments brief. So um, as you can tell, um, really exciting and qualified um, folks who are committed to um, serving God through their public service. So I'm going to jump into my, my first question. Um, and this is for each of our panelists. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a public servant? And how does your faith inform your perspective on public service? Catherine, maybe could I ask you to jump in first? Yeah, sure. So I got into public service entirely by accident. Um, I, a friend of mine went to the polls and she decided as a joke to write me in for inspector of elections. And she texted me about it and I sort of laughed it off because I was like, who wins with a write-in campaign? You know, that's not a thing. But when I went to the polls later to vote myself that day, I realized that there was no one running for inspector of elections. And it turned out that no one else had written anyone in for that either. And so um, with one vote, 100% of the vote, um, I was elected as inspector of elections for my precinct. And so um, I had to look it up because I didn't even know what that was. And it turns out the inspector is a poll worker position. And I knew somebody who had been doing that for a while. So I talked to him about it. And he asked me if I was going to do it. And I sort of hemmed and hawed. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm signing up for. And he said, you're signing up for democracy. You're signing up for America. And so I didn't really feel like I could turn that down. So I decided to say yes. And I signed the papers and I took the job. 
Um, so for two days a year, I get up before sunrise and I go and serve at the polls. And it's a pretty grueling 15 hour day. Um, and my job is to set up the machines and check in voters and make sure that everything runs smoothly and that people's voices are heard. Uh, it's a lot of paperwork. It's not glamorous, um, but it is really the vital work of democracy. And I believe that government has really been ordained by God to take care of the, the work of governing the society. And it's a really important job. And so I think that um, the, the voting is actually how we decide how that work of the government gets done. So it's really important that the elections themselves go smoothly and that they're trustworthy. So if I can help in any way to bring order out of chaos and to make sure that the people's voices are heard, then that's a way that I think I can help to bring flourishing to the community. So that's how I ended up here. And that's my role. Thanks, Catherine. Eugene, can I ask you to go next? Eugene, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. And uh, you guys might hear my co-presenter, my three-year-old in the background. But um, yeah, my journey to public service, I was probably 19 years old. Uh, I was a beneficiary of support from a uh, local community-based organization in my neighborhood. And it's a, it's a pretty amazing organization that does a lot of like transformative work in the community. And so once a year, they had an annual meeting with like community members and their board is like representative of the community and it's elected by the people. And one of my mentors in college was like, hey, you know, you're bright. Why don't you run for the board of this nonprofit? And I was like, uh, OK. And um, so I, I got up in front of like 300 people from the community and gave this like terrible campaign speech about why they should vote for me to be on this board. And I lost. <laughs> um to an extraordinary young lady uh, who was much more qualified. It was for like a youth representative position on the board. She's now a state representative in Boston, but, and just doing an amazing job. But afterwards I, I like felt demoralized. I sat down, they had like this buffet and this gentleman comes up to me and he says, Hey, I saw you up there. He said, you did a really good job. That took a lot of courage. And I was like, Oh, I didn't do a good job. I know. And um, he said, here's my card. If you're ever like, downtown come see me and I looked at his card I had never met him and he was my city councilor and I was like oh my this is my first time meeting an elected official and so I took his card I kind of put in my wallet and like a month or so later I went downtown and go shopping or something and I was like I have this guy's card I wonder if he really meant like come see him so like I took a leap of faith and I went to city Boston City Hall which is a huge massive building I I'd never been inside before and I found where his office was and and he took a meeting with me and um, he kind of like showed, he said, hey, come on into the chambers and we're about to have a hearing. And, and to my surprise, a huge city like Boston, there was nobody in this hearing. Right. And all, you know, 12 city councilors, but no one from the public was there. And so it kind of be, kind of became my thing, like just go kind of hang out in these meetings. Uh, and nobody was there besides me. And the more I went to the meetings, the more I, in my young, dumb, arrogant phase of my life, I thought these people aren't very, aren't doing very much. And I said, I think I could do their job. And so uh, I think on my 21st birthday, I pulled nomination papers to run for city council. It was an open seat. The gentleman who represented my district decided not to run. And 
I failed miserably at <laughs> at trying to uh, win that election. I don't think I even got enough signatures to get on the on the on the ballot. But it was my first, you know, swing at at the plate, and uh, I d- developed an interest and a love for kind of local politics. And then ten years later, now in my late twenties uh, or my early thirties, I decided to run again in a in a city north of Boston, Lynn, Massachusetts. And that time I got on the ballot, so that was a win. Um, I lost the election, by, I think, 600 votes or something like that. But I think we got 15,000 votes or, or some some large number like that. We raised over $10,000. And I was just amazed of of the success and, and that people would get behind me. And I was disappointed that I lost. I was crushed. But um, but God had a plan. And, um, and probably two or three months later, a buddy of mine who was working at the White House uh, offered me an opportunity to come to Washington, D.C. Um, to kind of put into practice what I had learned working with um, kids involved in the juvenile justice system and so forth. And so I, I was appointed to be the um, director of the Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships at the Justice Department. Here's Franklin. So that's my intro. <laughs> Sorry, I'm muted. Thank you, Eugene. And well, special welcome to our, our additional panelist. <laughs> he is more than welcome. Um, that's wonderful. All right, Emily, I'll, I'll turn to you um, if you could share a little bit. Sure. Thanks, Katie. Um, so I come from a family of doctors and nurses and educators, um, and I'm not interested in medicine or education. And so um, I, it took me a while to figure out what actually does spark my interest. Um, and so a family friend um, when I was in high school, took me to the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate um, and had me job shadow people there. Um, and it was the first time I had really been exposed to politics outside of just listening to talking heads. Um, and I realized that behind these representatives and senators, there's a whole team of people who are working on public policy and working for constituents. And they're also helpers um, in the same way that doctors help people, nurses help people, educators help teach people. Um, but they're just working kind of in a different venue and different format. Um, and so that experience back in high school um, just kind of sparked this passion in me for public service and for um, public policy. And so ever since then, um, in college, I've been coming back to D.C. Um, I interned at CPJ, so shout out for the Center for Public Justice. You guys can ask me about that internship later um, if you're interested. But um, yeah, that's when that passion was kind of born. Um, and then ever since then, I've just been um, trying to learn more about policy. Great. Thank you to each of you. It's really fun to hear kind of the different paths and stories. Um, they're certainly not all the same. And I think that's one lesson for young people is that there's not one, one path to the, um, the role of public service. Um, Emily, I'm going to stay with you, um, and I wonder if you could share what lessons you've learned working on Capitol Hill that you might offer to a young person on this call today who might be considering an internship or a future career um, in Congress. Yeah, um, I yeah, I like that question. Um, so the Hill can be kind of um, an intimidating place sometimes, I think, um, just because it's so fast-paced um, and it's very public. And so people are always kind of watching what's happening. Um, I think in the year and a half that I've been in the Senate, um, a lot of what I've learned um, about what, what it takes to be successful there and um, 
to, to do well and to serve the Lord in politics um, has to do with being curious um, and just asking questions. So that sometimes means setting aside a little bit of your pride. And if you don't know something, just asking people about it because um, there's so much information um, just at your, t- at your fingertips. Um, even as an intern, um, there's a lot that can be learned. And so just asking questions. Um, and most people are really knowledgeable and want to take the time to answer your questions. Um, so if you're ever interning on the Hill, don't be afraid to do that. Um, I've, I've also learned about um, just reaching out and being an initiator um, because things are so fast paced and busy. People won't um, necessarily like stop to handhold you or to tell you about positions or um, policy. And so it's okay to be the first person to say, let's get coffee um, or let's talk about this policy area or, hey, I had this constituent phone call today. I heard about this that's going on for me, I guess, in North Carolina. Um, what's something that we can do about it? It sounds like a bigger issue. Um, and then lastly, I guess, cultivating a posture of humility. Um, you'll <laughs> Even from the outside looking in, I think you can tell um, with politics, there's a big culture of pride um, that kind of goes on. And so um, if you can cultivate a posture of humility and service, um, that goes a long way towards um, just doing the basic function of public service, which is helping others. Thanks, Emily. That's great. Um, and I would say for young people, at the end, you'll have a chance to connect with us a little bit. Um, but if you are specifically interested in the kind of internship on the Hill, Emily would have some good tips of where to get started. Um, Catherine, my next question is for you. Um, and we just heard kind of about uh, politics at the federal level. And I think often when we think about um, politics or the work of government, people's first thought or image is Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much of what happens at, uh, in our lives and kind of the day to day happens at the local level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wondered if you could share a little bit more about why public service at the local level is so important and why uh, or what that can look like. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the state and local or state and national stuff is what gets all the press, but the local politics, that's really where most of the stuff that impacts your day-to-day life actually happens. So your city and county or township government officials, they're the ones who make decisions about what's going on in your local school district. They decide how policing is done in your neighborhood. They decide which new businesses can open. Um, They're the ones who inspect buildings to make sure that they're up to code and they don't collapse due to shoddy workmanship. Um, They send firefighters and ambulances. They deal with emergencies. They're who you talk to if you need to get a crosswalk at a busy intersection so your kids can get across the street to school. Um, they They run the libraries. They take care of the parks. They clean up graffiti and manage trash and recycling so that the city is a beautiful place to live. It's it's really everything that happens in your day-to-day life is taken care of by your local government. And ideally those local officials are really tuned into local concerns because they live there and they're part of the community. Um, So they're doing that daily work of making it a place where people want to live and where they can thrive. And so Christians who serve in local office, um, they can do a lot to make sure that the community is taking care of everybody and they're pursuing justice and equity and compassion and especially looking out for the most vulnerable members in our community. So it's a really important piece of the government and it has a huge impact on people's daily lives. 
And I also wanted to put in one quick plug for being a poll worker. I don't know if you've noticed when you go to the polls, but most of those positions are staffed by little old ladies who are 80 years old. And we need a new crop of people who can come in and manage that because as you can tell just from the latest election, like what happens making sure that the polls are safe, that they're working smoothly, like that's so important to our democracy and we need people who are willing to volunteer and invest there. And I shouldn't say volunteer, they do pay you though, it is less than minimum wage. You get like $100 for 15 hours or something like that. But it is a really uh, important piece of our local government to have staff at those positions. So if that's, if you're looking for a way to plug in, um, they can take you, I almost guarantee it. That's awesome. Thank you, Catherine. Um, Eugene, I want to take us back to maybe the federal level. Um, and a lot of students or folks on the call might not be aware that the majority of the federal agencies um, have an office that is specifically designed to connect the federal government with faith-based and community-based organizations. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about these offices themselves and then specifically about um, the faith-based office at the Department of Justice, um, where you were appointed by President Obama, if you could say a bit about that office and, and why that work is, is so important. Absolutely, Katie. Um, and right before I talk about the, the faith-based offices, I just want to um, make one point, which is that the whole idea of public service is really um, built on the idea that people who work in government are are to serve the public, right? And so when I was younger, I used to think if you were the mayor or the governor or the police chief or the fire chief or the police officer or the school principal or anyone employed in the public sector, that they had these high positions of influence and they wielded it however they wanted to and so forth. But what I've come to realize is that each of those positions work for you and I, right? They really are servants of, of the government. So the senator that Emily works for um, works for the constituents uh, of North Carolina. And so I think it's just really important to keep that in mind for all of us that these folks work for us. We, we should um, have high expectations of them. We should engage with them. Um, we should let our voices be heard and and just remember that you know, we're not there to serve them. They're, they're there to serve us, no matter at what level. Um, so um, the uh, White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships or Community Initiatives or some variation of that <laughs> um, started under the Bush administration with the idea that faith-based and community-based organizations have always um, contributed significantly in their communities, have been the foundation of, of communities um, serve the least of these um, in, a, in a wide variety of capacities, whether it's in schools or prisons or homeless shelters or, or you name it. Um, and so um, started in the Bush administration, continued under the Obama administration with a centralized faith-based office at the White House, and then about a dozen or so satellite offices embedded in each of the, the large federal agencies. So if you can name a federal agency, there's probably a faith-based office there, labor, HUD, education, the SBA, commerce, justice, um, USDA, and the list goes on and on. Um, and these offices are embedded within those agencies as a way to 
be a liaison to the faith-based community and the nonprofit community um, to help people understand how those agencies work, how to how to navigate accessing resources from them, and then to to coordinate back to the White House. So it's this interesting kind of coordinated relationship. So at the Justice Department, um, during the five years that I was there, we focused on criminal justice. Um, let me back, not criminal justice reform, I was going to say. Juvenile justice reform was a big issue. Criminal justice reform certainly was an issue. Um, uh, youth violence prevention, uh, promoting responsible fatherhood and working with children and incarcerated parents. And so um, one one thing I want to note is for those who are maybe undergraduate students or graduate students, there is a program called the President, Presidential Management Fellows Program or PMFs. And it's a program you can apply to um, while you're in grad school. And um, if you are selected, you you do a two year fellowship in the federal government and there's, you're essentially guaranteed a federal position at the end of it. And it's a very competitive process, but it's a really remarkable opportunity. So that's the Presidential Management Fellowship Program or PMF. So I encourage folks to take a look at that. We also um, the federal government uses uh, summer interns and fall and spring interns as well. I supervise quite a number of them. And so I just would encourage folks to consider internships in, in the agency that interests them most. And you can generally check those out. at I think it's usajobs.gov. That's great advice. Thank you, Eugene. Um, so my next question is for everyone. And I do just want to remind um, our attendees, if you have questions, do be dropping those in the chat um, for the end of our time together. Um, so my next question is for um, each of you, whoever would like to jump in. Um, I'd love for you to reflect a little bit on why it's important for public servants and especially Christians in, in these roles um, to seek to work across the aisle. Um, and if you could share any examples of this that you've seen um, that perhaps are kind of helpful and positive examples, I think um, that would be great to share. Yeah, I can I can start, and then Emily, who works on the Hill, probably has ample uh, examples. Um, so I don't consider myself particularly partisan. Um, I, you know, my highest priority is the kingdom of God, um, and my uh, in twenty twenty oh four, I was telling my my uh, my fellow panelists, I heard a uh, a director of the faith based office at the Department of Labor, a gentleman named Brent Orell give a speech at an event um, talking about his work in the Bush administration on prisoner reentry. And I thought to myself, wow, that's it's remarkable what he's doing. It's extraordinary. Um, when I was appointed in 2010, I, I remembered him regardless of the fact that he kind of was, was an appointee in a Republican administration and I was appointee in a Democratic administration. I reached out to him we had coffee. He gave me some really valuable insight into how he was able to be successful in his role. I reached out to my predecessor from the Bush administration, a guy named Steve McFarlane, um, and we talked at length and so forth. And and that piece of it, that information from both of those gentlemen was extremely helpful for me. Um, and it didn't matter to me what you know what party they were from, right? And then after I left and the new administration came in. I think I met either two or three times um, Katie hosted us with the Trump administration faith-based team. 
and was did my best to be as generous as possible with with insight and lessons that I learned. So at the end of the day, who we want to win is the American people. We want those who are our most vulnerable um, to get the assistance that they need and support they need. So no matter which party is in power or which one's in office, at the end of the day, we want to serve everyone. So. Thanks, Eugene. Yeah, Emily or Catherine. I would just echo that, actually. We we do just want to um, work for the best of our constituents, like you were saying earlier with public service, Eugene. Um, and when when I think of that question that you asked, Katie, I, there's a verse that comes to mind. There's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female. Um, and to that list that Paul gives um, in his letters, you could probably add neither Republican nor Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um because we shouldn't be divided by parties when we've been united in Christ. Um, and so for Christians, especially, I think um, politics is a really great arena for us to be in and to kind of be that unifying presence um, and to kind of set pride aside too, that um, I don't have to be the person to come up with the idea. If someone on the other side has a great idea, we shouldn't just be limited by party, but we can work with them um, for the good of the country. And um I, re- I really do enjoy working for Tom Tillis because I feel like we've been able to do some bipartisan stuff like that. Um, and so one example that I'll just give of um, what it looks like to do some bipartisan work um, is he worked with um, Senator Warren. So if you guys are familiar with Elizabeth Warren, she's from um, Massachusetts. So she's pretty progressive. My boss is very conservative, um, but they're both on the Senate Armed Services Committee, and they both have a really big passion for helping out service members. Um, so in 2018, they introduced a piece of legislation together um, called the Predatory or Protecting Veterans from Predatory Lending Practices. Um, and so in that piece of legislation, um, they wanted to make sure that they were protecting service members. And there's a lot of details, nitty gritty stuff, but basically the the goal of it is to make sure that they're not taken advantage of when they're going to get home loans. Um, and so they introduced the bill that January and by, I think it was May, um, it was public law and it was very bipartisan. Everybody got on board. They didn't get into um, the things that they disagreed on, but they were able to work together um, for a piece of legislation that um, yeah, it, it, it could have gotten controversial, but um, they made it very narrowly tailored and worked together on it. Um, so there is there is room for that. Um, and those stories won't show up in the news. Um, so you, you just have to it, it's cool to get to be a part of um, the inner workings of Congress and to see this stuff happening, because um, when good stuff happens, it's not always reported on. That's it. Go ahead, Catherine. Well, my role, obviously, we don't uh, make any legislation or do anything like that. But I just wanted to mention that, you know, as Christians, we don't fit neatly into either party or to any party. Um, Like I want to reiterate what Eugene said, that we belong to the kingdom of God. And so anytime that we can work for justice, for truth, for compassion, we should work with whoever we can find. So I just wanted to add that. That's great. And Emily, I just wanted to echo what you said that I think, um, you know, there are a lot of examples, despite what happens in the news of public servants walking, working across the aisle, having personal relationships, um, even on kind of a policy side, I can tell you from CPJ's work that we're often convening organizations, policy organizations across a wide spectrum that won't disagree on or won't agree on hardly anything, but perhaps work together on an issue like 
criminal justice reform or predatory lending. Um, so those examples um, do do exist. And Emily, I hope it's okay. I share one of my my favorite things um, about Emily is that one of her very best friends and also a fellow um, CPJ intern alum, uh, Wheaton grad, works for a Democratic Hill office, um, and they are. Um, you know, the best of friends. And I think it's such a, a needed example of, you know, coming from very different perspectives, but united first in your um, Christian faith and your deep friendship that's come out of that. So, yeah, we keep each other grounded. <laughs> yeah. If I can piggyback on that, um, I had asked Emily earlier if she's been to uh, Chaplain Barry Black's uh, Bible study. He's the Senate chaplain. And, um, Pre-COVID, he hosted a, a Friday Bible study at noon. If you're ever in D.C., post-COVID, I strongly encourage you to go. He's a remarkable teacher. and He's hilarious. Once featured on Saturday Night Live. Um, but you would never know going there. It's about 100 people who works for a Democratic senator, who works for a Republican senator. It doesn't matter, right? We're all, as I think Catherine said, we're all children of God. And... Um, we're all trying to grow in our faith and, and serve God in our own way. Um, one, and, and Katie, I'm glad you mentioned criminal justice reform, because one of the things which was really interesting during my time um, at the Justice Department was this idea that we wanted to find common ground, right? And so <laughs> in a kind of funny way, um, I think both parties want to be right and both parties want to win. <laughs> um, and if you can... I think some very smart people, smarter than me, have figured out if you can make a politician think that it's their idea and that they're that they're like winning, um, then they'll get behind it. Right. And so in a lot of ways around criminal justice reform, I've been at certain circles where the Democrats are like, this is our issue. We're advancing criminal justice reform. And they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then I've been in circles where Republicans are like, no, this is our issue. And we're advancing criminal justice reform. And they both think it's their issue. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who's who's who wins in it as long as it gets passed and, and it advances and so forth. And there are a small um, group of areas of issues where there is common ground in that. And I think we should explore where those are and find opportunities to to work on those. Absolutely. That's great. Um, so my last question for each of you before we open it up to the chat again, um, and you've already offered some really good practical tips, but if we have more. Um, so I'd love you to share what advice you have for undergrad students who may want to one day serve in public office um, or um, in some, some aspect of their career be involved as a public servant. So any advice, whether it's super practical or, or kind of more um, you know, philosophical or theological, that's welcome, welcome as well. I'll quick jump in here. I think the first thing for me that I thought of was just don't doubt yourself. Like it might seem like it's kind of too, too far away, too lofty. Like you might not feel like you have enough experience or cloud or any of that to get started, but really like just get going. Like you'll, there are a lot of important jobs that need to be filled and people will help you. I think like listening to Eugene's story and how many votes you were able to get, like in your, your first real election, um, people will 
help you. It's not so inaccessible. And so we need people to do it. We need people who love God, love their neighbors and want to make a difference in their communities. And that's enough to get started. So don't feel like, oh, I like I need to have 10 degrees before I can run for something. Like you don't, whatever office is right in front of you, like go ahead and get started. It's really important work. Yeah, I would uh, piggyback on that. I would say um, uh, volunteering, I think, is always a great idea. Um, so just I always tell people, like, the best way to get a job is to volunteer no matter what you want to do. Um, it gives people an opportunity to see what you can do and really lend your, your skill set. And, and oftentimes volunteering is a way to get in the door in a way that you wouldn't be able to if you were looking for a paid position. So um but yeah, I think taking risks is important, um, you know, betting on yourself. Um, and, but, but in all of that, just really making sure that you are really seeking God first, right? Really like being prayerful, really listening to what he's, he's directing you to do is really, I think, at the core of it. And um, yeah, that's, how, that's what I said, Kev. Um. I think for me, the advice I'd give, like very practically, um, would just work on writing. Um, I do a lot of writing, just become a good writer. And part of that means reading good writing. Um, my favorite is C.S. Lewis um, and Ronald Langle. They're my favorite. Wendell Berry is also good. Um, so like very practically. Um, as far as, well, okay, faith is also practical. But as far as your faith, um, I would say, being devoted in prayer is going to be really important, um, especially with, with the role that I'm in. Um, I'm in a very outward-facing role, and so I talk to constituents all day long. Um, and it's really difficult to kind of hear a lot of these stories um, and to trust that the rest of the staff is going to help them out and is going to work on those cases with them. But to not be involved in that and to hear um, kind of a lot of heartbreaking things that are happening in our country, um, just sharing that burden with God and knowing that he cares about that too. Um, and that he's, he's working on behalf of those people as well. And so lifting that up to the Lord in prayer, um, be another recommendation. Great. Thank you. Um, those are all really good pieces of, of guidance and advice. Um, so we have a couple of questions in the chat. Um, so thank you to those who have asked and I'll, I'll start and see if we can get through all of these. Um, so the first one, uh, from Samuel, have you any of you found it difficult to have a career in politics while not considering yourselves partisan? Um, I'll add my own side, like uh, sidebar there that maybe you do consider yourself partisan, and that's fine as well. So if you could speak to that. Um, um, so yeah, if you could speak to how you've navigated that um, and and how you would guide other students thinking about about this question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a, a buddy of mine who's who's been around public service longer than me, he said, the thing you have to realize is even if you win public office, like half your constituents automatically like, hate you. Right. So because we're we have a two party system and nobody wins like by a landslide, everybody wins like 49 to 51 or whatever, you know, um, the people who supported the opposing candidate or the opposing party, like they're automatically going to be really critical of you. Um, so I, my advice, you have to have thick skin and you do want to try and find common ground. Um, you're never going to please everyone. Like nobody's ever going to be able to please everyone. You have to kind of 
you have to kind of stick to what your principles are and, and what your core beliefs are and, and do it in love. I remember when I was running for office, somebody called me and wanted to know my position on a particular controversial issue. And, um, you know, I, I basically told him, listen, I, you know, I, my position is God's position, you know, but I, but I love everyone. And, um, and they were just pissed off at me. Right. And cursed me up and down, but you know, I still had to stand on what I believed in. So I, I would encourage folks to just really stick to what your belief is in, in love, right. And with gentleness and with humility. Um, in college, I kind of had this question of oh, like, do I have to pick a party? Um, and I remembered um, hearing Michael Ware speak. Um, if you guys haven't heard of him before, definitely look him up. He has a lot of really great things to say. Um, he also worked during the Obama administration. Um, and his advice to college students pretty frequently is to pick a party that you may be aligned closer with um, and then be the change in that party that you want to see. Um, and so I found that a really freeing decision to say that just because you're picking a party doesn't mean you're endorsing everything in it um, and to be really conscious of those things that you agree with, but also the things that um, you disagree with. One other thing I would say is that it seems like we are in a culture right now that wants to demonize the other side of whatever issue we're on, whatever party we're in. And so if you can cultivate the practice of assuming the best intent for people and trying to understand why that thing is so important to them, you'll go a lot further in trying to build bridges and make decisions that benefit both of you, that you can find common ground a lot better if you're willing to try to understand really why why their position is what it is. And so that seems to be very lacking in our culture that we just want to paint it as this really clear black and white, and it, it isn't. And again, Christians shouldn't fit comfortably in either party. And so we have, I think, a unique capacity to be able to, to see different sides and pull people together. And that's part of our call. Thank you. Um, and I'm glad, Emily, thanks for mentioning Michael. He's sat on this very iteration of this panel that we've done in years past, so that's fun. Um, so my next question, I'm going to adjust it or hybrid it a little bit um, from Ashley, who's asking about, um, paraphrasing here, kind of how you've continued to maybe strengthen your personal faith while in public service. And thinking about, I think each of you would say that those are not too distinct entities, but that your faith is really lived out through your public service. But I wonder if you could just say a little bit about how kind of maybe personal practices or disciplines um, that you've kept to remain kind of faithful in your walk and thus um, strengthen your, your work. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the daily examine yet, but this is um, a spiritual practice that St. Ignatius writes a lot about, um, but I do that at the end of my day. Um, and so you practice the presence of God, you, um, think of the areas of your life that you're grateful for. And so you think about your day and those things that, um, you should be grateful to God for. And then you examine portions of the day, um, where maybe you need to repent for something that you said to a coworker or to a constituent on the phone or, um, other areas like that. And then the last part of it is looking forward to um, and expecting God in your next day and thinking about those areas um, where you're asking God to be present with you and um, 
where you're expecting to see him in your work um, and, and in the rest of your life as well. Um, but I've found that that spiritual practice particularly has been very helpful. Um, and so I would recommend that. Yeah, I would say just um, being grounded in a strong Bible-based local church was really important for me. Um, you know, sometimes in the business of life, we kind of push that stuff out. But, you know, I make it a practice to try and be be in the place on Sundays and Wednesdays and, um, you know, in devotionals daily. Um, you know, when I was when I was at the Justice Department, I started every day in prayer on my knees because it was can be overwhelming. Right. And so you really, really need to draw close to God and hear from him. But just knowing that he's with you in the midst of it and he'll give you wisdom to know how to navigate it is is really important. I think Sabbath is a really important discipline. Um, When we put aside our work for the day, then we can stop it from being an idol and having our identity be completely tied up in our work. I think if if you're working in in politics in a place where you're getting calls like Eugene, where you have half the people in your your constituency mad at you all the time, it could be really easy to feel like beholden to that and the practice of Sabbath to like stop and put aside our work and remember that our true identity is in Christ and um, to be able to rest and be fully accepted. Um, I think that can be really grounding in, in anybody's work. Um, we, all of us, no matter what field you end up working in are going to be pulled by that. And so to be able to put it aside and remember that your true identity is in Christ, um, that can give you the energy to go back and to continue to serve in the field where you've been called. That's great. Thank you. Um, we're getting great questions to the, in the chat, and I want to next ask um, one from Jennifer. Uh, I really like this question. So it's kind of two parts. Um, the first is, you know, Jennifer says that she's heard, you know, especially early career starting out, maybe it's an internship on the Hill or in an agency or um, entry-level work um, can often feel mundane, underappreciated. I think that's the case in a lot of uh, vocations. Um, so what are ways that you've reminded yourself of the kingdom mindset and kind of bigger picture of your day-to-day work? And then part two, I love this question. What are ways that we can um, thank our public officials, either at a local or a state or federal level? I'll jump in on the mundane part. A lot of the work that I do in my government service is literally paperwork and putting tally marks and things and checking boxes. Um, and it can feel like it doesn't matter. Like I'm not doing very much. Anybody could do this. Um, but I try to remember, you know, how God brings order out of chaos. And that's like, as I'm stepping into that role, that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing order out of chaos. And so it's a way that I can reflect the image of God and use these gifts to help bring flourishing to my community. So sometimes I think just thinking about how this is a piece of something that's bigger can be helpful. Um, I, I'll tell a quick anecdote where I, I heard somebody walked up and there, this is obviously not a true story. This is an allegory, but there's three, uh, three bricklayers working and they, somebody asked the first one, like, what are you, what are you doing? He said, I'm just laying bricks. And they walked a little further and asked the second one, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a wall like, oh, okay, he's got a little bit better sense of what he's making. And then they walked to the third one. What are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral. 
Um, so just to have a sense of like this same work, it's not different. They're all three of them putting mortar on bricks and stacking them up and making them straight. Um, but they have such a different sense of what their work means. And sometimes I think we do have to find that internally and connect it to what God's doing uh, and how it's going to matter long-term and like think about the constituents we're serving or the whatever, whatever we can connect it to, they can give it some more meaning. And then um, to the second question, just if like, I appreciate it so much when people at the polls come in and they're just like, Hey, thanks for doing this today. This must be a long day for you. Like we, we really appreciate you being here. That goes so far, like just to treat people as human instead of as a, a robot who's just here for you to yell at or to solve your problem. Um, that it can be really demoralizing to have somebody be annoyed at you just because they're mad about something that's going on in politics or in the government. So to remember you are interacting with the image of God. And so be kind Thank you, Catherine. That's really beautiful. Eugene or Emily, anything you want to jump in on? I mean, I feel like Catherine really covered that. Um, like my job, like a lot of things are kind of a little bit more mundane, I will say. Um, but um, kindness is never wasted. And that's something that I think about a lot. Um, and so in politics, you can pass a law and it can be changed the next year, but the way that you treat someone, um, people won't ever forget that and that can't be undone. Um, so just thinking about um, a lot of my job in really relational terms, um, like obviously like the bringing order out of chaos and organizing things and sending emails, that's a part of most jobs. But um, I think that's kind of where the kingdom perspective comes in and how you treat people and treating them as um, they're created in the image of God. Yeah, I think um, just about the mundane question, you know, over my life, like things that I thought were mundane, you know, at one point in my life, I was working as like an administrative assistant, but like the skill set that I learned then, like helped me five, 10 years later and even now, right? And so a buddy of mine uh, worked as a, Emily, you'll appreciate this, a legislative correspondent, I think, which was like pretty much one of the really entry-level positions like opening mail and responding to constituent letters, but like that really prepared him for a position at the White House, right? And so um, just Bible says, whatever you do, like work unto God and not unto man. And so if you're working hard, you're being diligent, um, God's going to show you some stuff. People will recognize your gifts and it'll be clear to you, like either this is what you're supposed to be doing or not, right? And um, I really believe you, you want to be doing what you love right? And you want to be working towards it. But sometimes when you're younger, <laughs> you do have to take that position that eh, it's kind of like mundane, but it, it'll prepare you for something greater. And so just be grateful for what you have while you have it. And when a, a different opportunity presents itself, be ready and be faithful in the small things. Thanks to each of you. Um, okay. I think this is the last question we'll probably be able to get to. And um, I want to ask one from Samuel. Um, he asks, it's easy to consider ways in which politics and faith can cause friction with one another. How have you experienced them working together in harmony, perhaps in ways you didn't expect when going into this field? Um. I'll, I'll take a crack at it. That's a good question, right? Because we do think about politics usually as like this adversarial thing. And um, But I remember being in the in the White House 
for several uh, Easter prayer breakfasts um, with faith leaders from all across the country um, that the president hosted. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is amazing. Like I'm at the White House. We're celebrating like the resurrection of Christ and giving God glory in the White House. And I'm getting paid for this. Like this is pretty awesome. Um, And so uh, that was pretty surprising. But I think um, I'll I'll tell the story, which I think is surprising, is I I believe there's there's a scripture that says, through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. And I remember starting at the Justice Department, having like a vision and like, I want to be able to provide more training and more resources to faith-based organizations and kind of being met with like a deaf ear. And a year went by and then two years went by and like, I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting the traction that I want to see. But like by like year three, year four, really God just opened the floodgates and like a tremendous favor. And so um, to the point where by the time I left after five years, we had conceptualized and implemented like $30 million in new grant programs. And it took being faithful, but it also took being patient, right? And I think when you get a vision, you have to be persistent, but you have to be patient at the same time, right? Things don't often come exactly when you want them to happen. But it was when I found a, a person of like faith in in an agency that had resources and we were able to connect at that level. And, and, and I knew like the favor of God was on my life. And so I would just say, you know, Matthew 6, 33, if you seek first the kingdom of God, he'll add those other things unto you. And so, but you have to be faithful and you have to be patient in it. Amelia or Catherine want to jump in? If not, that's okay. It's a tough question. And I think... um, you know, similar to the question we covered about uh, our personal faith and our connection to our public service, I think, um, you know, the, the theme of this conference this year um, is every square inch, kind of that famous quote um, from Piper, that Lord, Christ's Lordship extends to every area of our lives. That includes our political lives and our systems and structures of government. Um, so, you know, while I think our, our cultural um mindset has us thinking about faith and politics, you know, never discuss that at the table together. They don't go together. Um, This panel is just a really wonderful example of the ways in which, um, you know, that we can be faithful um, and integrate our faith into our work in public service, Um, that they don't have to be these distinct, you know, check your faith at the door if you want to work in public service. Um, So I've been encouraged um, by these examples. So um, thank you to each of our panelists. Um, if you could give me like a, join me in a, an applause from wherever you are, put in a little emoji of thanks for our wonderful panelists. Um, that was great. <laughs> um, so I just very briefly before we go, want to share a few ways to connect, um, with the Center for Public Justice. Uh, so if you're a student attending this conference, you should be able to find our virtual booth and workshop. Um, so there's some more information there. Um, but a couple ways to get engaged, um, visit our website. I can drop it in the chat, cpjustice.org. Our platform for young adults is sharedjustice.org. Um, CPJ offers uh, summer internships. So if you're interested in an internship, you can find out more there. Um, 
and we have a variety of other resources, programs, uh, issue-specific work. So spend some time on our website and everything. Anything stands out, um, you can contact me. I'll put my my info in the chat as well. Um, and thank you again to our panelists. I, I know at least Emily shared her contact info. So if you're a young person, especially interested in the Hill, reach out. Um, and uh, thank you, Jean. Um, but yeah, thank you all for, for being here. I hope you enjoyed this time together. Um, and again, special thanks to uh, our panelists and H to Hudson for helping us on the tech. Thank you. <laughs>